we're continuing our series called uh, Rise Above It. Today we're going to deal with the subject of fear, rising above fear. And to get us started, a little chart. You can find these things online all over the place, top 10 fears. And you can see some of these you might identify with. Uh, they may be yours. Fear of flying, public speaking. Uh, I'm trying to look at an order and it's really hard. Uh, heights. <laughs> uh, the dark. I won't ask you. Uh, so you can see, typical fears. Now, take a minute, look at those, and if one of these is one, all things considered, you're thinking, I could use some help with that one. Um, these are typical top ten fears. So how many you see at least one up here that all things considered, you could use some help? Can I see your hands? Okay, almost all of us. Tough to be you because I'm not helping at all today. <laughs> We're not dealing with this subject today. Maybe another series, another time, another place. But uh, we're going to deal with one specific type of fear today. Uh, it's a fear that we probably don't think very much about, and yet the truth be told, it may be the most important one for us to learn how to rise above. So to introduce it, uh, I'm going to take you straight, whoops, easy for me to say. I'm going to take you straight to Scripture. And so go ahead and turn, if you don't mind, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That'll be page 1286 in those Bibles that are near you on the chair, page 1286. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and while you're turning there, I'll give you just a little bit of background. Uh, you're going to be reading a letter that a man named the Apostle Paul, uh, a, a person that Jesus had called to go out, plant churches, tell people about himself, the truth about Christ, the truth about life. And when you get to this book of 1 Corinthians, this man, the Apostle Paul, tuck this away because this will be important later. He had been a follower of Jesus over 21 years. Just curious, how many of you in here have been a follower of Jesus 21 years or more? Can I see your hands? Okay. Remember, when he writes this letter, he's been a follower of Jesus for 21 years. Okay. Let's start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're just going to read verses 1 through 5. And he's looking back to the time when he first came to Corinth and told people about Christ and hence started the church. He says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with superior eloquence or wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony of God. For I decided to be concerned about nothing among you except Jesus Christ or Jesus the Messiah and him crucified. I'll come back and unpack that in a bit. And I was with you, and here's where I was trying to bring you, and I was with you in weakness, in what is the word? Fear, and with what much what? Trembling. My conversation and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not be based on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Now, he says to them, he says, you guys remember what it was like when I first came to your city. And I started talking to people about the truth about life, the truth about God, uh, the revelation that the real creator has given him, himself, given him himself that started progressively in the nation of Israel and now had culminated when this person called Jesus of Nazareth showed to humanity this is who God is, this is what it's like. 
For three and a half years, Jesus uh, demonstrated what the kingdom of God, when God is ruling, what it's like. There's no sickness, there's no sorrow, there's no death. Jesus raised people from the dead. He healed people of every disease. He opened blind eyes. He fed, multiplied multitudes of people. He walked on water. He stilled a storm with a word. So Jesus was giving a little picture of what, what life would have looked like had mankind never chosen to break free from God in distrust. And so now... Paul would go around from city to city and say, here's the truth about life. He would say, you can't possibly know who you are, why you're here, how to live, where you're going, what the meaning of life is. You'll never be who you were meant to be. You'll never be able to do what you were meant to do unless you return to your creator. And your creator has come, and he's revealed himself in Jesus of Nazareth. So he would share this truth. And people here and people there would put their trust in Christ and become his followers. And he says, the first time I came to you guys, you remember, I was scared to death. I, I was trembling. Now, what did I say? How long had Paul been a follower when he wrote this letter? Who can remember? 21 years and he was still scared. Does that make you feel a little bit better, some of you? 21 years, he was still afraid when he was telling people, the good news that we have a God that sacrificially loves us. He's always for us. He forgives us. His arms are open wide. We don't have anything to fear. The only thing we need to fear is distrusting him or disobeying him knowingly or unknowingly because it hurts us. And it hurts him because it just grieves him at his heart. So why might Paul have been afraid? Now you and I can kind of surmise why he might have been afraid but I want to add a little piece of uh, concrete information so that you know exactly why he was trembling and with fear when he told these people in Corinth about Christ here's a list from the book of 2nd Corinthians it was written one year after 1st Corinthians so he would have been a follower of Jesus 22 years but he's writing looking back on some of his experiences and he just real quick kind of writes these things out in 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 through 26 in verse 23 he said he had been in many imprisonments he had been arrested many times because of telling people in the Roman Empire about Christ he had he had many beatings. How many of you have ever had a beating because you told somebody about Christ? Okay. Now, had you lived in a Muslim land, that probably a lot of hands would have went up, or even a Hindu land for that matter. But anyway, he had had many beatings. He had faced death, death itself, many times just because he kept telling people about the truth of God in Christ. He goes on. He says, he received 39 lashes, five different occasions. The reason they gave 39 instead of 40 is they found that 40 often killed people, so they only gave 39. He had it five times. Let's be honest. How many of you guys, you would have quit after the first time, after the first lashing? If it was dependent upon you or I for to be right in this part of the Bible, how many of you know it would not have been there? It would not have been there after the first lashing. Five times. He must have been a complete scar on his back. He says three times he was beaten with rods. Do you remember that kid that got in trouble about 15, 20 years ago over in Hong Kong and, and they took that, that rod and, and rod, cone, what is the term they used? They had a, they had a na different name for it, caned him. They caned him. You get that little skip step and whack you with that cane. Um, that's what they did back in biblical times. Paul said three times he had been beaten with rods. And then once he was stoned. Now for some of you this needs explanation. 
You're like, so? <laughs> no, in, in Paul's day, unlike today, <laughs> they put you in this pit and people grabbed stones this size and they hurled them down on you. And that happened to him once. And they pulled him out of there thinking he was dead, but he was not dead. So he's saying to the Corinthians, you know, I was with you in fear and trembling. We look back at this guy's first 21 years and we're like, oh, I think I get it now. He says three times he was shipwrecked. How many of you, are, you get seasick easily? Man, I, I am not a nautical man. I get seasick so easily. To be wrecked at sea is the most terrifying thought imaginable to me. He says elsewhere in the book of Acts that he was a whole night and a day at sea, at drifted sea in a shipwreck. But he's the guy, too, that when he's getting on a boat, don't get on the boat with him. You can see that. That's, that's the odds are against you. He says on top of that, he was in danger from rivers. You know, he's trying to cross over a river, and it's flood time, and it swept him along evidently. Danger from robbers, danger from the Jews, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, unique city dangers, unique wilderness dangers, unique sea dangers, and then false brothers. Those were individuals that said they were Christ followers, but they really weren't. They were just trying to infiltrate so that they could find cause to have Paul arrested. So when we read in 1 Corinthians that he was with them in fear and trembling, does it make a little more sense now? You know, he was probably thinking, what are these people going to do? I'm going to tell them how, the, how much God loves them. And he's got this eternally beautiful plan for their lives. But I know from experience that sometimes people will turn on you and they'll do terrible things to you just because you're telling them what you know to be the truth. So for you and I, what do we fear? Well, Proverbs 29, verse 25 says this. It says, it's dangerous to be concerned with what? You tell me. What others think of you. If you haven't learned that lesson in life, settle it in your soul. It'll save you a lot of grief and a lot of wasted time. Usually it kicks in somewhere around 40. You realize, you realize this is true. <laughs> but it's dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you. But if you trust the Lord, you are safe. Why are we afraid? Why was Paul afraid? Well, he had a little bit more reason to be afraid based on his past experience. But why are we afraid? Because the truth of the matter is, if you and I were very, very honest, we all have our hesitation when it comes to talking to people overtly, intentionally about spiritual matters. Let, let me go further. We're, we're uncomfortable when, when we know we are trying to find a way to talk to somebody specifically about their relationship with Christ or lack thereof. We are afraid of what they're going to think of us. Maybe up to that point, you know, they thought we were nice people, cool people, likable people. We, we were good employees, good employers, whatever it is, good neighbors, good friends. And then all of a sudden, we start talking all this Christ stuff to them, and, and we're thinking that they're going to think differently about us. They're going to think we're, we're strange, we're weirdos, we're argumentative. Who knows what they're going to think? And so you and I, we're all kind of the same. We're, we're concerned with what people are going to think of us once they find out this other part of our life. How many of you remember the old show, Candid Camera? Very, very cool show. I wish it were still on. One of the earliest stunts they did back in 1948 was the elevator stunt. How many saw it? You'll you know what I'm talking about, the elevator stunt. Here's how it went. You get on an elevator, but the elevator is already loaded with people. So when you get on, instead of the people facing the door as you walk on, they're facing the back wall. 
And so they would show person after person getting on this elevator with all the people facing the back wall, and, and it's just hilarious to watch. So the person starts out like this. They're facing the elevator door, and then they, they keep looking over their shoulder. Everybody's facing the opposite way, and you, you, can, you can see them. They keep, by the end of it, every one of them is like, like this, mindlessly following the crowd, terrified. They know something, or they wouldn't all be facing that way. And I want to be in. I want to be like them. I don't want to be the weird person. I don't want to be the out-of-step person. And you've got that in you, and I have that in me too. And it creates fear. So we're not afraid like Paul was of, of being beaten or something like that, but we are afraid of being ostracized. We are afraid of being disrespected. We're afraid of people that once liked us not liking us. We're afraid that we might suffer vocationally if we are too open about our relationship with Christ, and probably some of us in this room have, you know. So we have some real reasons to fear. It's not something that's just, you know, in our heads for no reason. Isaiah urges us to consider this, the, the Lord speaking through Isaiah. He says, I, yes, I am the one who comforts you. That's God speaking. He said, I'm the one that comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere what? Mere humans. He goes on who wither like the grass and disappear, yet you have forgotten the Lord, your creator. So maybe the root of our fear of people is that we don't keep our focus on our creator. And maybe we forget that we're all pretty frail, we're all pretty you know, imperfect, we're all finite, we're all in process, we're all learning. And we assume that, that people are gonna think the worst of us and it's somehow going to change the course of our life and rarely does it ever do so but we do fear it it's a guy named Landon uh, Donovan he was a, a star soccer player in fact he he talks about his own experience um, after the 06 World Cup in which he did not play well uh, he says I realized clearly that it was a business and that it was fickle I was foolish enough to think that these people who were showing me so much love genuinely like me talking about the fan base he goes on now this is like the voice of the people now you had a bad world cup we don't think you're cool or you're you're that cool anymore that for me was a very eye-opening experience and it made me very sad it was by far the hardest thing that ever happened to me in my life but the beauty is it was the best thing that ever happened to me and it allowed me to wake up and see the world differently for the first time. What did he mean? It was the worst time, the saddest time, and yet it was the best time. Well, some of you know, some of you have gone through some very embarrassing failures, difficulties, humiliations, and you dreaded them, and they hurt you. And truth be told, some people that once liked you, once associated with you, once had your back, they walked away from you, they rejected you, they thought less of you, they abandoned you. But if you made it through and you stuck close to Christ, you learn something in the process. You learn, first of all, there's nothing in this life that ever hits you or hurts you that God cannot get you through. But you also learn that there's a few people usually, a few people that will stick with you. They'll still honor you. They'll still like you. They'll still believe the best in you. And you find yourself a clear-minded, more mature person, less dependent on pleasing people. 
And some of us in here, we have a real bent. We struggle. It's the chink in our armor. We, we so want everybody to be happy with us. It's kind of innate in us, actually. But some of us take it to the worst degree, and, and we become prisoners. We become slaves to other people's opinions. We lose our whole authenticity. We lose our character because we become whatever we think somebody wants us to become. And in the process, we never become who God intended us to become. And sometimes when we just accept, you can't please everybody and it's foolish to try but you can please God your creator and you'll please some other people that are faithful to him and will be faithful to you but we fear that now, I came across an article here's the thought this was from uh, a, a newspaper in 2016 and uh, it urges some rather reckless behavior uh, how many of you would be honest enough to admit that when you have a big family gathering like on the holidays and, you know, family that are normally not together are going to be together. How many of you would acknowledge you're just a little bit nervous? Can I see your hands? Yeah, sometimes bad things happen. There's always somebody that's, you know, going to say that wrong thing and you just never know where it's going to go. Well, listen, listen what this article advocated. The article was titled, How to Talk to Your Relatives This Holiday Season. Yes, you can. <laughs> listen what it says. Constructive dialogue is more important today than perhaps ever before. Well, we could all agree with that. But then the next thing, consider making an attempt at civilized debate. You're thinking, they don't know my relatives. Civilized and debate don't go together. Those two things never happen. But this is an article saying you go home for the holidays and have civilized debate intentionally. It goes on. The author outlines a bold evangelistic strategy, how to do what? Convert people. So you're going to go home for the holidays over a meal and convert your unconverted family members. Does that sound like a fun holiday? Yes, indeed. Somebody needs to be, you know, taking the, the footage so that they can make some money at least. All right, so now they give steps. First, make it personal. Second, appeal to their humanity. Third, Employ some cost-benefit analysis to convince the non-believers, show how the path the world is on now not only costs people money, but pain and suffering and ultimately human lives, hopefully initiating a change of heart. You're trying to convert them after all. That's what the article says. Now, here's the interesting thing. That was not a Christian article. That was from the Huffington Post in 2016 and do you know what they were urging you to try to convert your family to over a holiday meal your point of view on climate change and I don't really care what your point of view is on climate change I'm just trying to make a point the point is now, now here's where it gets serious they were saying in their belief system some things, they were using the language that Christians were using. They were saying that some things are so important that no matter how uncomfortable it makes you or it makes other people, you and I must just kind of ratchet up our courage and have these uncomfortable conversations. Now, theoretically, that makes sense to me, that some things are just so important that no matter how uncomfortable it's going to make me or how uncomfortable it's going to make somebody else, I just have to have that conversation. How many of you have ever had a conversation with somebody, you were dreading it, man, you were just dreading it, 
and you knew it was going to be very uncomfortable for you, and you knew it was going to be uncomfortable for them, but it was so important, you knew you had to ratchet up your nerve somehow, and you just had to do it. How many have had that experience? Can I see your hands? Yeah, it shows something. It shows that no matter how uncomfortable we may be talking about something, there are times when we understand that the issue is so important, we will take the risk of being uncomfortable ourselves and making someone else uncomfortable because the issue is that important. A number of us have done that. And so we have to kind of turn this corner and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. How does this fit in with talking to people about Christ? How does this fit in with telling people about the, the change Christ is making in my life, telling my story to them? How does this fit in with me inviting somebody to church maybe or to a study group? How does this fit in with me just specifically asking somebody, what is their belief about life, about God? and listening to them sincerely, and then asking them, why do they believe it? And then asking permission, can I tell you what I believe about God in life and why I believe it? You know, isn't it, isn't it important enough? I mean, if you and I believe what this book says, it says, as I said earlier in this message, a human being, I don't care who they are, I don't care how, how good they are at what they do, I don't care how much money they make, I don't care how much success they seem to have, this book says a human being can never really know who they are, why they are here, how they are designed to live, what's happening in this world, where they are going apart from Christ their creator. A human being, this book says, can never develop to be the beautiful person that they were meant to be apart from reconnecting in trust with Christ, their creator. And, and so that's pretty important. This book goes further. It says that a person will never experience their eternal destiny, the destiny that God wants for all of us as human beings. That thing that's hidden inside our heart, you know what I mean? That world where there's no more sickness, sorrow, pain, death, prejudice, hatred, poverty, worry, fear, stress. That world where everybody is loved and respected and, and every day is a good day and the next day is better than that. You want that world. I want that world. This book says that world can only be had by people that return to their creator and trust and live in harmony with him and his will and with one another. And to miss that, to miss that is pretty serious if you believe the book. So when we contemplate how do we get past our fear, here's the first thought. If we believe this book, there are some things that are just too important for me to consider how uncomfortable it might make me feel to talk to somebody about it. They're too important for me to worry, frankly, about that they may not like me anymore, they may respect me less. It, it's, there's certain things that are just so important. And it's important that you and I start thinking that way because, because the truth is we have a hard time with this. Even some of us that have been following Christ for many, many years, maybe even many decades, we have a hard time. Even though we know, we can, some of us can just, just repeat it by memory where Jesus rose from the grave in Matthew 28, 18, and he told his disciples then, and he told his disciples right on down through the age, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. 
and I'll be with you until the very end of the age. Even some of us that know that passage, just like I just quoted it, we have a very, very hard time opening our mouths and even starting the conversation about spiritual matters. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to help us get, get past something. Because that's where we want to go to is, is how can we rise above it? I've seeded one thought in your mind. One way we rise above it is we come to the conclusion some things are just so important that you have to push past your discomfort and bring them up because they're just that important. Listen to the way some early followers of Christ dealt with their feelings of fear, their feelings of hesitancy to share the truth about God and the truth about life with other people. Here's the background to this passage. The early apostles, the first four or five years after Jesus had risen from the grave, they started telling everybody around them the truth about God and life. And sometimes they were arrested and sometimes they were beaten up physically. They had recently, Peter and John, been beaten physically and now they were rearrested again by the Jewish authorities because they wouldn't stop talking about Jesus being the real center of the universe and that he had risen from the dead. So after Peter and John get away from their arrest, they go back to their community of believers, just like what we have here, and they urge them to join them in prayer. Wait till you hear this prayer. Here it is. And now, Lord, this is their prayer. And now, Lord, take note of their intimidations intended to do what? We live in a society today that has a hundred subtle and not so subtle ways of intimidating you and I, Christ followers, to be silent, to shut up. Just be nice people and shut up. It was a little more violent then. And now, Lord, take note of their intimidations intended to silence us. Grant us your servants. Notice, they're not asking for protection. They had just been beaten and arrested. They're not saying, oh, God, save us, protect us. That's not the prayer. Grant us your servants the courageous what? Confidence we need to go ahead and proclaim your message. It wasn't God protect us from being beaten again. It wasn't God protect us from going to prison again. It was God give us the courage to say what needs to be said, the courageous confidence to, to share your message. What if, what if we all started thinking that way? No, no, no. What, what, if, what if we all started actually to pray that prayer? What if the first thing in the morning when we got up, we that are followers of Christ, we prayed, oh God, give me an open door, give me an opportunity somewhere, somehow, and more importantly than an opportunity, give me courageous courage and confidence that I can share your message with somebody. Maybe I can tell them a little bit about what you're doing in my life and how good you've been to me. Maybe I can tell them about how church is transforming the way my family functions or I function. Maybe I can tell them the whole story about how you, the loving creator, sacrificially came and gave yourself to death to show that even though you're almighty, your almighty power is always bridled by sacrificial love, removing all barriers of fear and guilt and distrust so that we can now come back to you, offering us forgiveness of all of our sins and eternal life. Maybe you pray every day, God, give me the courageous confidence to invest in somebody's life, to invite somebody to church, to tell my story, to tell your story, Lord Jesus, to somebody today. 
What if you prayed that prayer every single morning when you got up in the morning? I wonder what would happen in our lives. I wonder what would happen in our community. I wonder what might, what might happen in the world if all believers started praying that way. I know one thing. I know it's one way to overcome this fear and this intimidation that every culture of Christ followers has to deal with. There's a guy named Ken Elzinga. He's been a professor at the University of uh, Virginia for over four decades. But when he first became a professor there, he was a really young guy. He was 26 years old. And Ken Elzinga was a Christian, a follower of Christ. And when he got on there, he got affiliated with some Christian, you know, campus groups and so forth. And it got set up that he was going to do like a talk on campus, you know, kind of a statement about Christ and, you know, presenting his truth to college students. And they started putting posters up, you know, of Ken around the campus. And so some of the older professors uh, who evidently were also Christians, but they sort of were those silent type, uh, they came to Ken, this 26-year-old newbie, and they said, hey, hey, man, you better, you better cool your jets, brother. You want to ever get tenure, you, you want to keep your job, you better slow down talking about Jesus on this campus or you're going to be a short-timer. And Ken L. Zingle went back to his room that night deeply disturbed, deeply troubled. And he got so troubled about the thought of losing his career that he was just starting that he went back out on campus and he took down all the posters because the posters had a picture of him about this big meeting he was going to have to talk about Christ. He took them all back down and he took them all back to his room. And he sat there for a while. And then the more he thought about this thing, he says, what, what, is it, what am I doing? What, what do I believe about life? Well, I mean, am I serving myself, my career, or, or am, I, am I serving God? Yeah, I mean, what, what is it that I'm about? And he went back out. And he re-put all the posters back up on campus. And he gave that talk. Now, I told you the end in the beginning. He is still at the university. He's been there over four decades. He's been voted in as the most uh, popular professor numerous times. What's the point? You're saying, Randy, if you're, if you're a bold Christian, if you speak out, if you let people know the truth about God and life about Christ, you're always going to have your job saved. You know, nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. Remember where I started this talk? The Apostle Paul saying he was scared to death when he went to Corinth, and I showed you why he was scared. We don't have the guarantee that the story always ends well. We do have the guarantee that our God will never leave us and never forsake us. And what we do know with clarity is it's always, always the right thing to do. It's, it's always the right thing to do. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in uh, chapter 1 of the book of Romans, writing to followers of Christ living in Rome. He says, I'm not the least bit embarrassed about the gospel. That's what he calls the whole message, the whole story about Christ. We have the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell the whole story about God's goodness in Christ. He says, I am not embarrassed about it at all. And I won't, what does he say? Shy away from it. Why, Paul? Why won't you shy away from that message? Because it's God's power to save every person, which means every person needs to be saved, who believes, first the Jew and then the non-Jew. So the question is, have you or I, maybe it's better to say do you and I, do, do we shy away from the message? 
I know how hard it can be. I, I, I was 17 years in the construction industry, working in construction. I, I know when an environment is not real open to this message, and I know how hard it can be to share it openly. I also know that I did it, and it can be done. But do people, the people, if you're a Christ follower, do people around you, in your office, in your neighborhood, wherever it is you associate, do, do they know who you are? Do, do they know you? Do they really know you? Or do you have like a double identity? Do you shy away from identifying with Christ? Do you shy away from this message? I'm not trying to guilt trip you and make you feel bad. I'm getting you to think. Paul said, I will not shy away from this because this is the only way people can be saved. You say, Randy, safe from what? Safe from ourselves. Safe from not knowing who we are, how to live. Safe from our sin. Yes, it's our sin that's destroying us. It's our sin that's going to destroy this world shortly. Yes, we need to be saved. We need to be saved from a lot of things that only Jesus can save us from. And it's this message that brings a human being back into a trusting relationship with Christ, their creator, that can save us. And it's the only message that can save us. But unless we believe that, we might not be as motivated to share the message. They did a study recently, and they were uh, asking a question, a generalized question. Um, do you believe there are many religions that lead to eternal life? It's kind of another way of saying, do you think there are lots of paths that lead to God or lead to eternal life? But in this survey, this vast survey, they, they asked, do you believe there are many religions that lead to eternal life? Now, I want you to take that question to yourself right now. I'm not, not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I want you to answer it for yourself. Do you believe there are many religions or many ways that lead to eternal life? Think for a minute. What's your answer? Don't give it to me. It goes on. Two-thirds of those that identified as Christians believe that many religions can lead to eternal life or that many paths lead to God. Two-thirds of those that identify as Christians. You might, have, you might have just concluded the same thing. In here, I don't know. I don't know. How you answer such a question will determine whether evangelism, that is telling people about Christ, is integral or peripheral, a matter of urgency or what's the word? Complacency. Two-thirds of those identified as Christians say, hey, man, there's lots of ways to God. Here's what it says in the book of Acts, though, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It's really narrow. It says, there is salvation in no one else. If you read the verses to go before, it's talking about Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus in John 14, 6, the last night he was with his disciples on earth, he said to them, he said, hey, guys, you be sure of one thing. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to God but by me. That's narrow. That'll make you really unpopular in today's society. If you were among the two-thirds that say there are many paths to God according to Jesus, according to God's word, you are wrong. Because Jesus says with crystal clarity, he is the only way that humanity can be saved. He is the only one we can trust in that will heal us and bring us to our sense. He is the only way that eternal life can be entrusted safely with immortality to human beings. So how did you answer that one? I can tell you one thing. If you answer with the two-thirds, as the rest of that quote said, you won't be real concerned about talking to other people about Christ. 
Because you're thinking, oh, man, you know, they'll make it their way. Good people all make it. So it's a big deal. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, once again, he says, For God was in Christ, and he was reconciling the world to himself, bringing the world back to a place of trust, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message. Who's the us? Who's the us? Can somebody tell me who's the us? Just say it out. Yeah, every Christian. He gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. He goes on. So we are, we are, if you're a Christ follower, we are God's ambassadors or Christ's ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is. It's a representative of another nation. We're representatives of the, the realm of heaven. God is making his appeal through who? Us. We speak for Christ when we plead Come back to God. Hey, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Now, when's the last time you pleaded with somebody? Man, why don't you think about life and consider putting your trust in Christ? Let me tell you about his goodness. Let me tell you about the evidences for his life, death, and resurrection. Let, 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 me, let me plead with you. Come back to God. You'll never be who you were meant to be. You'll never do what you were meant to do. You'll never have the eternity your heart hungers for. Turn back to Christ. When's the last time you pleaded with somebody? Turn to Christ. Put your faith in him. Become his follower. Because that's the way this thing's supposed to work. You're God's hands mouth, eyes, heart. I'm God's hands, mouth, eyes, heart. What he does, he does through us. And it is an extraordinary privilege. But you know and I know it's scary. It's not easy. Because we don't want people thinking differently about us. We don't want it to hurt our careers. We don't want it to hurt our reputation in the neighborhood or amongst the, the kids' friends or whatever it is. And, and so we have to struggle with this. What matters the most? And, and what matters enough? There's another survey done, and this was an interesting one. It said that according to research done for global, the study of global Christianity, one out of five non-Christians in North America, that, that's here, you know, does not personally know a single follower of Christ. Now, when I read that, I thought to myself, that doesn't mean that they aren't around followers of Christ. It just means that they don't know a single follower of Christ. Now, of course, I was saddened by that. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Just work with me on this one. Are there some people in your sphere of influence that don't know you're a follower of Christ? They know you're a wonderful person. They know you're a great friend. Know you're a great employee or employer. But they don't know. They honestly don't know who you are. You have somehow, for some reason, kept secret what you probably believe to be the most important thing in your entire life, that you are one.
one that has been reconciled to your creator, Christ. Yes, Christ is your creator. The scripture is redundant in its repetition of that. When the scripture says, in the beginning of God created, the New Testament says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was, was God, and all things were created by him, and nothing was created without him. Jesus is God in flesh. He is God in all his fullness, Colossians 2 says, that all the fullness of God dwells in him. And, and yet, some of us, we hide it. And you know why we hide it? I'm just like you, so I know. Because we are scared. Now, I know the Spirit of God's here working, making us feel uncomfortable for a moment so that we can be bold and courageous and confident forever. Let me close with an interesting study that was done. A guy named Larry Taunton, he uh, started studying these were, these were people that once had gone to church, you know, as youngsters. You know, maybe their parents dra dragged them to church or whatever. Like that, but then they got to campus life, and they just stopped, and they become full-blown atheists, okay? So he starts studying these people. It was a nationwide campaign to interview college students who belonged to atheistic campus groups. Larry and his team heard one consistent theme from these young unbelievers. They often expected but didn't find more spiritual depth from their Christian neighbors. Get this. The atheists were expecting to find more spiritual death from us, and they couldn't find it. It goes on. Without fail, our former church-attending students expressed positive feelings for those Christians who unashamedly embraced biblical teaching. He gives an example. Michael, a political science major at Dartmouth, told us, I really can't consider a Christian a good moral person if he isn't trying to, you tell me. When's the last time you tried to convert somebody? No, no, I mean, when's the last time you absolutely intended, tried to convert somebody. You say, oh, Randy, that's obnoxious. You know, we, we, we don't do that in society today. Uh, well, Jesus calls us to do that very thing. Here's this atheist saying, I really don't consider you a good Christian or a moral person even if you're not trying to convert me. Christianity is something that if you really believed it, it would change your life and you would want to change the lives of others. And this atheist, student atheist, says, I, I haven't seen too much of that. Would he have seen it in you? Would he have seen it in me? Would he have seen that we care so much, we believe this to be the truth so deep in our hearts, that we push past our relational discomfort and we take the risks to be misunderstood, even to be disliked, because this is just such crucial truth, we have to take the risk. This is how we can rise above this fear of intimidation, this fear that will silence us. How many of you, how many of you have learned by now that you think, maybe you're sitting here and you think, man, I, I just let people observe my life. I love when Christians tell me this one. I just let them see my life and my life just speaks for itself and it will just bring them to Jesus. No, it won't. There are nice Hindus, there are nice Muslims, there are nice Buddhists, and you're just another nice person unless you open your mouth and tell them why you're nice and what you believe to be the truth. 
When I was a kid back in my day in school, I don't know about your day, we had this thing we did in elementary school called show and tell. How many know about show and tell? Right? You brought something in, you showed the class, but you just didn't just show it to them, you told them about it. As Christians, we are called to show in our lifestyle the change that trusting Jesus is making in us. And yes, our lives should, should match up with our mouths, but then we are called to open these mouths. It's a communication gift that God's given us. All of us show and tell and tell. All right, let me close. I'm going to ask you just one last couple times to do something that you, I know you don't like to do, but I like to do it because it gives me a little feedback. Um, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you in your past, and if I could, we could do what we did in first service, lights up. <laughs> lights up. Somebody's asleep at the wheel. First service, man, they were right on this. Did we change light guys back there since the first service? <laughs> All right. How many of you ever in your past, you had somebody that intentionally spoke to you about your relationship with Christ, and you could tell, man, they're trying to convert me. How many of you ever, ever had that happen in your past? Can I see your hands? Same thing in the first service, almost every person. Another question. How many of you had somebody in your past invite you to church same thing in the first service now this is where it gets fun how many of you when that person was first talking to you about christ or inviting you to church you were not exactly too thrilled with it you were a little resistant can i see your hands all right now think about what you just just indicated look where you're at now some of you, you love God so much, your, your heart feels like it'll explode some days. You've seen his goodness, you've seen the wisdom of his ways, and you're passionately devoted to him. But you once were apart, you once were even resistant, but somebody spoke to you, somebody invited you, and here you are. What if, what if every day for the rest of our lives, we prayed that Acts 4, 29 through 31 prayer. Oh, God. Oh, God. Give me, give me a shot. Give me an opportunity. Give me confidence, courageous confidence to share your truth with somebody today, to invest in somebody's life, to invite somebody today, to, to, to let them know what you're doing in my life today, to share what you've done, Lord Jesus, by coming into this world of your own making and sacrificially dying on a cross and rising from the Give me, give me an opportunity. Give me boldness. Give me courage. I don't want it to go easy. I just want the courage to do what is right. Can you imagine the power that would be unleashed in here? Just think of your sphere of influence. We all have it. Just think of the people God has entrusted. They're your flock, just like you're my flock. Just think of it. Don't be good for nothing. Some Christians are good <laughs> like a fire hydrant, you know. They don't do nothing. <laughs> don't be that person, man. We are called and thereby equipped to share this message, to invite people, to be the body of Jesus, asking people, please return to God. He loves you. He loves you. He's for you. He'll always be with you. Let's pray. Father, what power sits right here in this room. Only your spirit, only your spirit can continue to remind us and to rekindle this passion and give us the courage and the confidence and the clarity to go forward 
to be life changers in this world of ours. We ask that you would work with us, trouble us if necessary. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.